So we are in Judges chapter 19 and looking at verse 22 to verse 30. Judges 19 verse 22 to verse 30. Hopefully you picked up an outline as you came in, but probably they've run out. But if you haven't got, there might still be one there if you still want to grab one. Uh, and the outline says the depth of depravity. The depth of depravity. This is the second of two sermons from Judges 19. Now, during the London 2012 games, it seems like a long time ago now, a song by Beverly Knight captured the public's imagination. The song, of course, I'm referring to is called I Am What I Am. One newspaper reported that Beverly Knight's performance during the Paralympic Games was so electric there, was, there wasn't a dry eye to be seen in the stadium as she sang those powerful lyrics. What, what, what does the song say? Well, the first verse of the song goes something like this. I am what I am. I am my own special creation. So come take a look. Give me the ovation. It's my world that I want to have a little pride in. My world, and it's not a place I have to hide in. Life is not worth it until you can say, I am what I am. Now, of course, we know I am is the name of God. And and that song, which itself, I am what I am here, was originally sung by Gloria Gaynor, of course. It's a declaration of independence. It's a declaration of self-worship. It is man putting himself or herself, in this case, Beverly Knight or Gloria Gaynor, whichever one, saying, I am my own God. I run my life the way I want. I am what I am. And this song, of course, is a big anthem of the gay movement. Uh, if you know anything about some of those pride matches, this is actually the song they, they play. And it's interesting, of course, that uh, they managed to get it in the Paralympic Games as the signature tune of the Paralympic Games. It was chosen, really, because the country at that time wanted to celebrate the gay lifestyle. So they chose the gay anthem to play it at the Paralympic Games. Now we are currently in the book of Judges. Judges is a story of God's people after they got into the land of Canaan. It is a story really about of their rebellion against God's authority. God has saved them out of the land of Egypt, planted them in the land uh, of Canaan, and they rebelled against him. And Judges tells us something about that rebellion that went on and how God reacted to that rebellion. Now, last week we began looking at Judges chapter 19. Uh, We saw a Levite marry a second class wife, a concubine. And we saw that concubine immediately, well, after some months, I guess, cheat on the Levite. We see that from verse 1 to verse 2 of chapter 19. She cheats on him, and what does she do? She then runs back to her dad. So she's cheated on her, on her husband, and she's run back to stay with dad. And the Levite, after four months, decides, well, I think I need her back. So he goes off, searches for her, 
at her father's house in Bethlehem. And he stays there for about five days. And while he's there for five days, he decides to leave. Eventually, you know, the hospitality is so great. We looked at this last week. The hospitality is so great in Bethlehem by his father-in-law, um, who was behaving a bit funny, actually. But eventually, he says, look, I'm going home. I'm taking my wife with me. And he makes his way. The problem is that he leaves that house at night time. So he's not going to get home, really, during the day. And he's going, as, as he's going, eventually they decide... They, they arrive at Gibeah on their way back to Ephraim. They arrive at Gibeah uh, during the night and they decide to sleep there during the night. But when they get there, they are not very welcomed in Gibeah. You remember they were not offered hospitality at all. And hospitality only comes in verse 16 when an old man, a temporary resident from Ephraim, invites them home. So they are now safe and comfortable inside this old man's house. So that's where we left the story, okay? And the sermon last week was what? A portrait of moral chaos. That's what we learned about last week. They are there, they're staying there, they're comfortable, they're being looked after. Well, this evening we are concluding Judges 19. We, what we are learning this evening is what the Bible teaches us about the society that lives with the motto, I am what I am. What does that society look like? Well, look with me at verse 22 of Judges 19. And the first truth we learn, which is in your outline, is that people without God have depraved appetites. People without God have depraved appetites. Let's walk through these, these verses. So the old man and his guests, as I've said, they're sitting comfortably, they're enjoying themselves. Then suddenly, boom, they hear a thump on the door. People, a mob is knocking heavily on the door, thumping, trying to get in through the door. Look at verse 22, says this, As they were making their hearts merry, that is the Levites and the old man and the women, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, that a version says, sons of Bilal, Surrounded the house, beating on the door. Loud thumps on the door, trying to get in. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced anything like this. You're sitting at home, and all of a sudden, thumps come through the door. I mean, I've never experienced that. I mean, you have kids going through Halloween, knocking, making strange noise. But I've never experienced anything like this. But when I was young, when I was a toddler, I should be precise. When I was a toddler, I am taught as we were living in Indola in Copa Belt in Zambia, that our family was attacked by armed robbers. I only picked this up from my mother, of course. And these armed robbers came with guns and they surrounded the house and they broke in as it were. And as I thought about that incident when I was very young, I thought to myself, you know, it must have been, my parents must have been filled with a lot of fear. Quite a lot of fear to be attacked. Can you imagine being surrounded by armed criminals breaking in the house like that? It must have filled them with a lot of fear. And thank God our family was preserved as it were. But of course this is much worse. 
It is much worse what we're seeing in Judges because this is, a, this is the men of Gibeah. In fact, all the men, some commentaries tell us, they are banded together as almost like one man and they are beating down on the door. Can you imagine an entire... You only see this in movies, sort of zombies get together and all of a sudden they are running. To, but that's what the picture we have here. Worthless fellows in Gibeah united banging on this door. And we can imagine that as the shouts of the door gets louder and louder, the old man there with the women perhaps very frightened, they are now shouting perhaps outside, look, please leave us alone, go away, we don't want any trouble. And then a shocking demand comes from the mob. The mob says, it's not you, old man, we want. Give us a Levite and we will go. Let's read on verse 22. And they said to the old man, the master of the house. Bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. Let us just freeze the camera there. Outside the old man's door with this mob in the darkness, as it were, beating on the door. When we look at this mob, what do we see? What we see is that these, first of all, are homosexuals that want to force their way in into this house. They want to force themselves on a Levite. And when we look closely at this mob of homosexuals, we see that they are not foreigners. No, we see that this is not Sodom in Genesis 19. The story is similar, but it's not Sodom. We see that this is Gibeah. These are people of God. And we see that they are not just ganging up to force themselves on any other person or even just a person of the same sex, as it were. We see that they are trying to force themselves on a priest of God. That's very important. These homosexuals in Gibeah are here to make a statement. They are here to say, look, we hate God. And we want to define him in the most disgusting way possible. They are saying, we are what we are, and we want God to know that. They are meant to worship God, but now they have allowed their depraved appetites to control them. They have become, like what Peter says, irrational animals, creatures of instinct. As the, as the Apostle Jude says, they are now chasing after strange flesh. This passage is telling us that whenever any group of people abandon God, friends, whenever any group of people abandon God, whoever they are, there is no limit to their depravity. And there is no limit in them glorifying themselves as one man in their depravity. The Bible is clear, friends, that the depth of human depravity reaches its crescendo in practicing homosexuality. Every sin is a sin. But the practice of homosexuality is the crescendo of depravity. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 28. 
Paul writing to the church of Rome says this. Romans 1 verse 21 to 28. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is, this is the decay Paul is describing. And then he gets to verse 24. Therefore God did what? God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this reason, again, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul there paints a picture of, of, of depravity reaching a crescendo in this, in this unnatural relations now they've taken on. It reaches a crescendo in homosexuality. And don't miss the word in Paul's uh, verse there, in Romans. Uh, the word there, shameless. Did you notice that in verse 27? And likewise, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. Paul is making this point that when we reject God, sins that brought shame to our hearts, things we just never even contemplate doing, now becomes the norm. I want you to understand that the homosexuality in Gibeah is not that they have just started practicing homosexuality. They've worked through all these sins and they've reached a crescendo. And now they're engaging in that depravity. And now because they're so consumed with sin, sin no longer fills them with any shame. They are banding together. And this is a warning to the society. This is, this is similar to the society we live in. We see in our society people band together like these men of Gibeah to defy God. They may, have, they may have differences on many things in life, but sinners unite in this sin. They unite in this sin of depravity, of this sin of homosexuality. And we see this in the UK, don't we? Conservatives and Labour disagree on many things, but they agree in defying God with promoting homosexuality. Here is a PM, Theresa May, who I admire a lot, as you know, uh, said this last year. I believe that same-sex marriage will be one of the proudest legacies of my party's time in office. 
The UK Parliament is now one of the most diverse in the world, with 45 openly gay, lesbian, or bi MPs. Six more in this parliament than the previous parliament, she said. 17 of those are conservatives. And I am proud to lead a cabinet with two gay members and to have other gay and lesbian ministers serving in government. This is life in the UK today, where progress is measured by how widely homosexual the hands of government and society becomes. This is happening in our country. Why? Because people without God have depraved appetites. And this is our first truth. The second truth, friends, is that people without God have depraved thinking. They have depraved thinking. Let's go back to our passage in Judges. Uh, we see that the homosexual gang squad is beating down the door of the old man's house. What will the old man do? He does something unexpected. He goes outside. Look at verse 23. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, he's appealing to them. He said, My brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come, into my house. He says, do not do this vile thing. The old man has left the comfort and the protection of the house, come out of the door, perhaps somebody securing it from the inside, and is pleading with them, look, don't do this wicked thing. This is a natural thing. He's being brave here, isn't he? He's risking himself getting hurt. He's pleading with his sexual perverts to see sense. He's saying, don't do it. It's contrary to nature. We are, we are impressed by his courage as we read this. Until suddenly, it does something we don't expect. Look at verse 24. And behold, this is his compromise. Here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out, violate them. And do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. So he starts off well. Then he comes up with the most ridiculous thing I've ever read, I think, in the whole of Scripture. He's giving this evil man his own daughter and the Levite's concubine. What is he thinking? But what he's thinking is that he's only concerned about the culture. This is all about hospitality. The, the Levite has come to him and he must protect the Levite at all costs. Uh, he cares more about the custom of hospitality. We talked about that last week, didn't we? The importance of hospitality in the, in the ancient East, in the ancient Mideast. And, and we talked about that. Uh, but here he's prizing this custom of hospitality than the two women. The women mean nothing to him, even his own daughter. This is what sin does to us, isn't it? The depravity in Gibeah has blinded the old man to the point that he can't see anything apart from preserving his own ego, his own promise to the Levite. 
The preservation of culture is all he cares about. And as I thought about this man, I thought, we see this in our day, don't we? Listen to that speech again of Mrs. May, how she continued. She says LGBT rights are human rights. And as a UK government, we always stand for them. Do you see that in our depraved society, what matters to us is the worship of man. The I am, what I am motto is what is driving everything. And of course, they use all sorts of labels to justify that. But the best, but whether you're talking about human rights or whatever, the key point is that everything in our society is geared to preserving our autonomy as human beings. God must not interfere. This is about us. It's about our rights. What's happening in Gibeah is happening right here in this country. So we go back to the old man. So the old man has offered two women for the Levite. What will the depraved mob do? Let's carry on verse 25. We are told by the men would not listen to him. They are not interested. Remember what this is all about? This is all about making a big statement against God. I am what I am, they are saying. So they are not interested in this compromise. So what we have here now is a stalemate. And we are now wondering what's going to happen next. They don't want, they just want the Levite. So I guess the Levite has to offer himself, huh? I mean, at least to protect those in the house. Well, suddenly we we see the Levi getting up. He looks like he's about to make some movement. Is he about to give himself up? Well, no. We can imagine him now going to his wife. He grabs this wife of his. He takes her out of the house. And perhaps he gets that door opened. And he thrusts her outside to the mob that are outside. He tosses her outside like meat. To animals. Look at how verse 25 continues. But the man would not listen to him when verse 25. So the man seized, forcibly seized his concubine and made her go out to them. The actions of the Levite are shocking. How can a man do this to his own wife? And especially when you remember who's doing it. This is the pastor. This is the priest of God. The, the actions of Levi are showing that he's wearing all the right clothes. He knows his Bible. He knows the law. But it does not belong to God in his heart. The law of God teaches that we are to love God and others. It teaches that the husbands must honor their wives. Doesn't it? And here is a Levite selfishly thrusting his wife to a group of depraved Perverts. And because he's a Levite, he's a priest, he knows what he's doing is wrong. But he's justifying himself as he does, as we can imagine, because he's only interested in protecting himself. Sin has degraded his capacity to think clearly about God, about his wife, and about life in general. And when we went through Samson, we made this point, and when we looked at this issue actually two weeks ago, we made the same point, didn't we? When we looked at selfish religion, we made this point that what sin does to all of us is that it doesn't just degrade us morally. Sin is anti-intellectual, we said. Sin degrades our capacity to think right about 
life. And this is what's happened here. In a depressed society, people cannot tell their left from their right. They are like the people of Nineveh. Life is upside down when God is not at the heart of your life. What should make us weep makes us celebrate. And this is life in the UK, isn't it? It is life in the UK. Right has become wrong. Wrong has become right. And just as reason can, just as this old man could not persuade by logic these Gibeonites, we cannot persuade by good, even rational apologetics, good moral arguments on why sin, this, this practice of homosexuality and other sins are so sinful. You can't reason with depraved people. And now I'm not throwing apologetics out of the window. I'm simply pointing out that the sinner by nature is anti-biblical. You cannot at the core reason with sinners because sinners are only controlled by their depraved appetites and their very thinking is corroded. (coughs) The only way we can change our Gibeah as the UK, our Gibeah, the only way we can change it is by God himself intervening in our society to rearrange their thinking. Because human beings by nature are depraved in their thinking. Only the Spirit of God will change this country. Because human beings are depraved in their thinking. That is our second truth. Here's the final truth we see from this passage. Uh, We see that people without God have depraved appetites. That's the first point. People without God have depraved thinking. And the final point is that people without God have a depraved humanity. A depraved humanity. So let's go back to the Levite. The Levite has tossed his wife out to the depraved mob in Gibeah. And I have to say, what now follows is perhaps the most difficult passage in all of Scripture. It is very hard for us to read and process it as we think about it. Let's read on verse 25 to verse 26. But the man would not listen to him, so the man seized his concubine and made her go out to him. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. Verse 26. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. The violence committed against this woman is the most dehumanizing of all forms of violence. They have destroyed everything about her. A womanhood completely violated. We should pause and agree that these events are difficult to read. They are hard to process. 
We are not reading our Bibles properly if we do not ask this question. Why is this event in the Bible? If you're just reading it, then you know, and without thinking, that's a problem. When you come to this passage, you must be honest with the scripture. This is hard. Why do we have it? I know your friends, whoever, if when you decide to do a Bible study with someone and you get to judges, your friend will ask, in fact, you're going to avoid coming to judges. But they will ask that one there. So as you read the Bible for yourself, you must also ask. We must ask, why is this event in the Bible? And as I thought about it, I said, first of all, I think it is here for three reasons. First, it is here to help us see what sin has done to us. By God putting this in the scripture, he's saying to us, look, this is what sin has done to you. It has turned you into monsters who rape and kill one another to satisfy your own appetites. The second reason why this passage is in the Bible, I think, is to remind those of us who have experienced sexual abuse that the God of the Bible is not blind. The God of the Bible does not sweep sexual abuse perhaps like the BBC, under the carpet. No, he puts it out there as a reality in a fallen world. God is saying, I am not blind to the abuse you have suffered. He sees the pain of those who have suffered rape. He sees the pain of women like this one who have been abused. And that is why he has come to make all things new through the cross of Christ. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth where such abuse will not take place. The third reason I think this passage is here, as we think about it, is that it is here to challenge those of us who think they don't need God. Or those of us who don't think that God needs to be at the heart of society. We see here that we need God to reign in sin, don't we? We see what the world looks like when God is not at the heart of it. But we also see here that we need God to deliver justice for all. Friends, if there is no God, what do we say to those people who have suffered homosexual abuse at the hands of Jimmy Savile? What do we say to them? If God... It's not there. What we say to women like Gunas in Afghanistan, who was raped at the age of 16 in 2009, and then a culture forced her to marry the rapist. What do we say to them? If God is not at the heart of these issues, what do we say to many countless boys that have been abused by Angl- in the Anglican churches and, and, and the Roman Catholicism? And even some evangelical churches. What do we say? You see why God has put these things in. Ultimately to point us to him. As the arbiter of justice. Because there is something to say to them. To those people who have suffered. That there is a God who is just. And is bringing about justice through Christ. So that's why this passage is in the Bible. So back to the passage itself. We see that the abuse has taken place. And yet it seems all this time, what do you think the Levite has been doing? It looks like the Levite has actually been sleeping comfortably. 
after shoving sort of his wife outside, he's gone in and had a good nap. He's gone to bed. And now we are told that he's actually getting up, he's waking up. Now, a normal husband, what should a normal husband do? I mean, if he's had a nap, fair enough, maybe, maybe he's crying a little bit. But if he's had a nap and he's coming, what should he do? What, what, what should, somebody give me an answer. What should a husband do the morning after? So, Tanwa, what do you think he should do? Well, the basic thing is that he should cry, first of all, isn't it? He should start looking for her, shouldn't he? She's been abused, so he must first of all at least mourn. This should be some humanity to him. That he should be mourning, crying, and even postponing the journey until he finds out who's done this, I guess. No, not this man. Look at verse 27 to 28. It says, And a master rose up in the morning. So he's rising up. He's been sleeping. He's up. I don't know how a man sleeps like that. And when he opened the doors of the house, and he went out to do what? To go on his way. He's going home now. Not looking for the wife. Behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. She, she's probably like that and she's been, she died asking for help. Verse 28 said, listen to what he says to her. He said to her, get up. Let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. So callous, his attitude, so uncaring for a woman he loves. He was meant to love, we would say. Is this, I mean, how does a man treat his lover like this? It just doesn't make sense. Anyway, so off he goes. But he's not going home to start a funeral either. Because as soon as he arrives home, he does probably the most... I mean, this passage has a lot of despicable things. But we're about to see the most despicable thing in the entire Bible. Look at verse 27 to verse 28. And our master rose up in the morning, and we read, and he opened the doors of the house and went out to, to see her. And he says, let us be going, verse 28. Just read that carefully. Verse 29, sorry, I meant to say. And when he entered his house, verse 29, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. That's verse 29. So let's picture this. The woman, oh, let's not picture it. But the woman has been sexually violated, right? And now, her identity as a human being, being made in the image of God, is now being literally torn piece by piece. Because her husband has cut her up in 12 pieces. Friends, this is the depth of depravity. This is what life without God does to us. This is the picture. This, 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 what this liberty is doing is a picture of what man does to man as a result of sin. The Bible is telling us that when we reject God, it leads to death and it leads to what? Self-mutilation. We're almost like destroying our humanity. John Stott says sin... It's not only the attempt to be God, but also the refusal to be human. 
In sin, we become less than what God intended. Our human identity is ripped from us. And we've seen this happening in the perverted men of Gibeah who become starts acting like animals, right? They have become creatures of instinct. We've seen it in the Levites and the old man who do not care about anyone else. They just care about themselves. And now we see it graphically here in the concubine being torn in pieces. A society that worships humanity rather than God in the end loses its humanity. If you're going to remember anything about this passage, that is what the author of Judges is getting at. If you try and hold on to yourself so much, you lose yourself. If you try and focus on everything in your life that's about you, in the end, all of you disappears. If you focus on worshipping man and everything is about man, in the end, everything disintegrates. This is what is at stake. Our very existence as human beings. When God is not number one, we become depraved in every way possible and we lose everything. It is a bleak lesson. And as I thought about this scripture, I thought, what a bleak scripture. But right at the end of this story is our hope, isn't it? And it's in verse 30. Look at verse 30. And all who saw it such a th- said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it. Take counsel and speak. They are shocked, aren't they? They are shocked at what has happened. But even within their shock, they have reminded us of something. They have reminded us that God has delivered his people from Israel. From, from Egypt, and he has planted them in the land. They have reminded us that Israel, as depraved as they are, they have a history of grace. They have a history of experiencing God's grace. And they are only behaving like this, wallowing in their depravity, because they have abandoned the grace of God that delivered them from Egypt. But God has not abandoned them. And here is why it's been very important for me to emphasize a thing that if you are, you, are, you, are, you are listening to this sermon for the first time, you may miss this crucial point. When we started this chapter, we said what? We said Judges chapter 17 to verse 21 happens when? Early on in the life of Israel. That's quite important that you understand that this story is happening before Gideon. This story is happening before Deborah. This story is happening before Othaniel. We need to know this is at the beginning of the sermons you've had. The 44 sermons have been about God raising judges. Well, God raised those judges after this. And that's important, isn't it? Because what we have then, as we look at this passage, is a picture of God actually being lovingly patient with sinners. These are the people, God is saying, these are the sorts of people that I raised Gideon to serve. These are the sorts of people that I raised Barak to serve, Samson to serve. This passage should fill us with 
gratitude at God's grace. Because if we're reading this passage, if we start off the sermon with this passage, what we then have met later would be what? Othaniel, Ayu, Deborah, Gideon, and others. And you know what? If you know your Bible, you know Gibeah will produce the first king of Israel. King Saul. Do you see why this story is here? It is showing us how loving and gracious God is to depraved sinners. After all of this mess, God will raise 12 judges. After all of this mess, out of the depravity of Gibeah, Saul will arise as the first king of Israel. It is showing us that God is loving. He's a God of grace. And this grace of God is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, the road from Gibeah leads all the way to Golgotha, where all the filth and depravity of man is nailed to the cross, so we bear it no more. Listen, because of Jesus, there is hope for all our depravity. Because of Jesus, we can say with confidence that God loves homosexuals. He loves them and wants to serve them. Any homosexual, rapist, or pedophile who truly repents will take his place in the kingdom of Christ. The blood of Christ washes away the deepest stains. The Puritan William Jenkins, who I've been reading recent times, says this, If it be the glory of God to pardon great sins, it is his greatest glory to pardon great sinners. Did you get that? If it be to the glory of God to pardon great sins, and it is, it is His greatest glory to pardon great sinners. The Lord delights in pardoning great sinners who repent. And this should be our hope as a church that is seeking to point people to Jesus. Friends, let us not give up at the worst of sinners among us. We are sinners. But we know that some people are genuine, are really struggling in certain areas. This passage should inspire hope for us to reach out to them. Because as we read Judges 19, we remember the chapters that come before and how God pursues depraved people. So we must not give up on anyone in the life of this church. But we must also not give up on anyone outside who is depraved. Isn't it? We live, yes, in a depraved country. But Christ is a great savior. He's a greater savior, we must say. So the question is this. Are you just hearing this or do you really believe it? Do you really believe God can save the most wretched of sinners? Do you really believe that this depraved nation can be rescued for Christ? Well, if we do, then we must make it a priority, isn't it? To fall on our knees individually and as a church to plead to God to transform us, to transform this nation. Prayer must become a priority in our lives. And I would plug up, obviously, our new prayer meeting. Because if we believe this, we must make that a priority, isn't it? To pray, because we want to pray for one another that God could change us, transform us, but also God to change this area around us. And also God to change the country we live in. But it's not just prayer. 
We must submit ourselves to God fully to be used to change this nation. And I think that means living holy and blameless lives. Friends, a Christian who is wallowing in sin and has not radically surrendered to God is part of the problem. Let's be honest. We look at a depraved country, but the truth of the matter is the church is part of the problem. It is part of the problem. The church is Gibeah in the depraved land of Canaan at present. And therefore, we must ask ourselves as individuals, are we part of the problem or are we part of God's intended solution? Because you see, friends, many believers are like those apps we have on our mobile. I mean, I don't know about your iPhone. This is final illustration. I don't know about your iPhone but, or, or your phone you have. Sorry to plug up, you know, the, the one operating system over the other. Uh, I don't know about your phone, but I suspect if you are like me, you have apps on your phone. I'm stealing an illustration, by the way, from, from Sony, if you hear it next time. If on your phone, I suspect you have apps that you don't use, right? And they just sit there. They just drain energy. And someone was telling me that, you know, Christians are a bit like those apps, many Christians. They just exist. They're just existing. In the life of the church, they're just there, draining power, but not contributing. In our society, we're just existing, draining all God's power. Well, you, know, you know what I mean? Not just being there in the ecosystem, but not seeking to allow the Lord to transform us. Friends, let us not be dead apps, so to speak. Let us offer ourselves to the Lord to use us to transform this nation, to begin to transform the area where we live in. Let us offer ourselves to God. I think it's a wonderful time to be a Christian in the UK at present because the land we're living in is a dark land. You only got to have this little bit of light to stand out. Just this little bit of light. It's so dark out there. You just got to have this little bit of light to stand out. So let us offer ourselves to God because this is an opportunity to shine for Christ. So come to God this evening. Weep for the state of the nation. And ask God to help you surrender your life to him, to use you for his glory. Amen.